Well, good morning, Docs of Church. If you've got a Bible, pull it out. We are in 1 Corinthians 11. 1 Corinthians 11, and we're actually just going to be looking at one verse today. Verse 1, okay? And this is what it says. It's very simple. It's very short. We'll read it, and then we're going to spend the rest of our time talking about it. But it just says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And I want to just start with this question that is, has kind of been bugging me all week. And it's this, what if today you were actually given the thing that you were desiring most this last month? Like whatever it is, you know, it, it, whatever the thing is that you've kind of set your imagination on, you're daydreaming, like whatever that thing is. And it's, it's normally not a thing specifically, right? I mean, sometimes it is. You're just like this new grill. Like if I could have this, my life would be complete, right? Sometimes it's like that. But normally it's not like a thing. It's just like a place in the story, right? It's like some narrative about your life where you think if I could have that kind of life, that story, that is where joy and flourishing would lie. And so the question is, what if you actually got that place in the story, the, the place you've wanted to be this last month? And what would that life look like? So seriously, go ahead. Think about it. I'll give you, I'll give you a minute. Now, I've been thinking about this a lot the last couple of weeks, and the reason um, is because I got Instagram, okay? <laughs> I got Instagram, and it's not my Instagram. We, we have, we're starting this church plant, and so I got like an Ann Arbor church plant Instagram, uh, Salt Ann Arbor, if you want to follow us, go ahead. Six followers, no posts, we're a pretty big deal. Um, but there's a couple of times I found myself kind of figuring this thing out, and I'm, I'm just not a social media guy, I'm not, but I'm trying to figure this whole Instagram thing out, and um, the first thing I've noticed when you go through the Discover section, well, first of all, don't ever start an Instagram with a two-year-old next to you, okay? Because now the algorithm, it thinks that I only want to see dog videos, okay? So like the whole Instagram, it's like 95% just images of dogs because that's what Silas wanted to watch the first time we used Instagram. So I don't know if that's, is that going to be that way forever? I, no? Okay. Okay, good. Um, but every once in a while, this thing will happen where, like, an influencer will, like, come into the feed, right? And you, you know when this happens, right? Because it's different. There's, like, the normal kind of people who are using Instagram, and then there's, like, the influencers. And, like, the lighting is different. Like, it's, you, sometimes you're wondering, like, are you on planet Earth? Like, where is this place that you're having this video? And, right, the videos are basically these people traveling in incredible places. And they're, like, 15 seconds long. They're almost always in slow motion, it's like a perfect sunset, perfect bodies, an infinity pool, and like the treehouse hotel, some obscure place in Indonesia, and there's like charcuterie and wine and like wispy cloud. Like it's just perfect, right? And it's a basically, what is it? It's like a 15-second curated vision of the good life, right? It's like this is it. Like this is the life. This is the lifestyle. This is the story that has value. And we call these people influencers, right? And the reason we call them influencers is because that's actually a really accurate name for what they're doing. Because when you see someone that has a life that you think is valuable, you will end up imitating that person. Like, it's, it's natural. And it, this, this imitation thing that happens in us, when we see something that's valuable, we imitate that, is like a really deeply ingrained thing in our humanity. Actually, babies, like within 45 minutes of being born, they actually start imitating the facial expressions of their parents. And so this, this imitation thing is really deeply ingrained in us. 
And it isn't a question of whether you will do this or not. You, you will. I, I do. We do this. This is like a multi-billion dollar industry based off of if you can show someone a picture of the life you think has valuable, you will end up becoming to try to be like that person. You buy their brands, you live their lifestyle, etc. And the reason is because we imitate what we admire. There's no way around this. Like this is the way we work in our humanity. And I mean, you can do a ton of research on this and you can even like study the modern psychology of this and they will confirm this. It isn't just a biblical idea, it's just like true about humanity. The things that you love, you become like those things. You imitate what you admire. And I have a friend, Mikey Stewart, who's super into CrossFit. Um, he's obsessed with like two things, CrossFit and Jocko Willink, okay? Which I think both those things go together actually. But it's, it, Jocko Willink is a Navy SEAL. He has like a popular podcast. And one day he's like always talking about this podcast. And he's like, you got to listen to this. And so I listened to this podcast. And as I'm listening to it within like five seconds, I pause it and I'm like, oh my gosh. Mikey talks exactly like Jocko Willink. Exactly, like not like sort of like it, exactly. Like this man has stolen his entire persona, like the words he uses, his speech patterns, even the way he enunciates. I'm like, oh my gosh, you talked weird and I couldn't figure out why, but it's because you talk exactly like Jocko Willink. You will become like the person you admire. You imitate what you think has value and we do this consciously and we do it subconsciously and that's what this text is about. Because what Paul's trying to talk to us about is actually the kind of life that we think has value because what we value, we imitate, and what we imitate, we reproduce. And so 1 Corinthians 11, he just says it like this. He's been talking for a long time, but he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. And we rarely ever teach on one verse, you know, and so if you're here for the first time, this is not normal. Normally we're taking like a whole kind of passage or a chunk of scripture, and the reason we do that is because with a large section of scripture, it, it's harder to kind of miss the point, right? When you take just one sentence, it's easier to kind of take this in, in a wrong direction out of context, but we really did just want to stop and talk about this one verse today because one of the best single descriptions of discipleship that you get in the Bible is this verse, it's just Paul saying, hey, be an imitator of me as I imitate Christ. And if you've been at, with us for the past month, Paul's been writing to this group of Christians in Corinth, and he's been getting into all these kind of specific issues, but the thread that's kind of ran through everything is that Paul is consistently trying to change the way they view the world. And it's not in the way that we might think, right? If you're coming into church, we have like the big ideas, right? Like believe in God believe that Christ is the Son of God, believe that he died on the cross for our sins, rose from the dead. Like these are like core foundational ideas that like when you come into church, you'll hear these things and Paul talks about these all the time. But the thing that Paul is trying to change in these Christians is to change the kind of life that they value. Because while these people have chosen to follow Jesus, they've decided that they want to follow Jesus just close enough to get salvation from him, but not so close that they actually might become like him. It's like they see what Jesus is doing on the cross and they're saying like, Jesus, we are so thankful for that. That is awesome. Thank you for that gift of salvation, but I don't want to stand too close lest I myself might get associated with that kind of life. And for Paul, as he's kind of looking at the posture that these Christians have, 
it actually is like unthinkable for him. He, he just, he can't get it. And he keeps like saying over and over again, he's like, it's like you're missing the point. For Paul, it's unthinkable because for Paul, Jesus is not just someone that can benefit his life, add value to it. For Paul, Christ is his life. Right, this is what he says in Philippians. He's like, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain because I'll actually be able to be with Jesus. Like Paul's whole life is Christ. And, and he says this really interesting thing, right, in this text. It's super simple. He just says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, Paul, let's just be honest for a second. Paul is a very kind of terrifying person to walk into your story and be like, hey, live like I'm living. Like it's a, it's a scary person for to come and say, hey, imitate my life. Paul's Instagram would be a very strange thing, okay? Like, I've been thinking about that this week, too. Like, what would Paul's Instagram be like? Uh, and he, it would be really weird. He did not have a luxurious life, okay? Um, one book after this, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he gives a short description to the Corinthian church about what his life has looked like after following Jesus. This would be like, you know, his top hits. He says this, Five times I received 39 lashes from the Jews, Three times I was beaten with rods by the Romans. And by the way, all of this, every single one of these, is because of his identification with Jesus. And he didn't need to identify with Jesus as strongly as he does. He didn't need to be a missionary. He didn't need to go take the gospel to the ends of the earth, but he wanted to, and this was what his life looked like. And he says, once I was stoned by my enemies, three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and the day in the open sea on frequent journeys, I've faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, dangers from false brothers, labor and hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger and thirst, often without food, cold, lacking clothing. Why would someone like that ever invite anyone to imitate his way of life? Like, that's a terrible TED Talk, right? <laughs> like, the people that you want to be influenced by are the people who've made it. Or the people who give you financial advice because they have a $10,000 watch and they drive a Ferrari. Paul's like, without food... I was just really cold a lot of the time. I didn't have enough food to eat. I didn't even have enough clothing. Why would someone like that invite us to imitate their way of life? It's because above everything else in his life, Paul's deepest treasure is Christ Jesus. And he had decided to bend his entire life towards knowing him not in part, but in full, and making him known to the world. And Paul would be the very first person to tell you that this cost him a ton. Like he actually had to leave behind almost everything in his life in order to pursue Jesus in this kind of way. But Paul also in this passage is trying to tell us, hey, it's worth it. I'm telling you, it's worth it. And you know, there's, there's a Goldilocks kind of version of Christianity that's out there that a lot of people seem to want. And this is actually a really common thing that I hear kind of people bring up to me. And, and it's, I really think it's what the church in Corinth wanted, right? They're like, we want a version of discipleship, a version of following Jesus that's not too cold and it's not too hot. It's just right, right? We don't want like no passion. 
But we don't want enough passion that'll like derail our lives. And you know, Paul is like the guy when it's like not too, whole, not too cold, not too hot, like I just want it in the middle. Paul's like the guy who goes to the Thai restaurant and like he sees the spice levels, right? It's like mild, spicy, very spicy, fire, danger, and then it's like Thai spicy level, right? Paul's like the guy who walks in and he's like, that one. Like, give me that. And by the way, this is, this is an aside, but have you ever done that? Have you ever gone to a Thai restaurant and just ordered it as spicy as it will possibly go? Not like one of the kind of Americanized ones, but like a full authentic Thai restaurant done that? I did this once. Okay, I had come back from China and I was, my, I felt like my spice game was like pretty on point. I was like, I've been in China all summer. Like I can roll, let's go. And so I get there and I'm with some friends and they're like, which one do you want? And I was like, give it to me the way the chef would just have it. And he's like, I can't do that. It, it, no, like you will be destroyed. And I was like, I can handle it, trust me. And I remember having this and it was like one of the most painful experiences of my life. Like I remember I kept taking the napkin and I kept wiping my mouth, not because my mouth was hot, but because I thought I was bleeding. Like that's what if my mouth felt like I was bleeding, it was so hot. So anyway, okay, that's an aside. But this is sort of how Paul lives his life. Like it really is. Like he's like, I want 11 out of 10 in following Jesus I don't want to follow Jesus from a safe distance. And actually, I think if you press into Paul's life, he'd be like, I refuse to follow Jesus from a safe distance. I don't want to get an idea of what he is like. I want to know him. And so for Paul, the idea of following Jesus at any distance at all is all the difference in the world. It's like the difference between seeing the pretty girl from across the room and actually walking over to her and asking her out. It's the difference between like seeing the album cover on your phone and actually going to the concert. It's the difference between hearing Jesus call your name and actually dropping your nets and going after him. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. He's not claiming some kind of perfection. He's not claiming his life is flawless. He's just saying, man, I'm orienting my sinful, flawed life after the direction of Jesus Christ. And I'm inviting you to link arms with me and not walk, but run in that direction. And, and one of the places that Paul explains this kind of posture he has, the, the most specifically is in Philippians 3. And so this is, this is Paul kind of unpacking this, this idea of imitate. I'm imitating Christ. I'm inviting you to do that with me. He says this. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he's talking about like his life. Like someone who has a great life, a great, like just great stuff happening in their life. Anyone has confidence in that, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Like this stuff doesn't make any sense to us today, but like back in the day, it's like he is listing off like all of the things of important, like moral status, prestige, power, influence. He's like, I had everything that our culture said had valuable and people looked at my life and wanted to be like me because I had it all. And then he continues on and he says, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, 
the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now listen to what he says next. Because he's talking about theology and he's saying like, this is what Jesus has given me. This is why it was worth it to trade everything for this righteousness from God that depends on faith. But then he moves away from theology and he moves just, this is what's coming out of his heart towards Jesus. He says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. You see, what happened for Paul when he met Jesus was he actually found the thing he'd been looking for his whole life. Like he wasn't trading everything for Jesus, but he found in Jesus the everything he had been looking for in life but had never been able to find. Because he, Paul wanted, like us, he wanted to be righteous. And we don't need to think of that in like a spiritual sense. He just, he wanted to have the kind of purity of heart where he didn't have to look at any part of his life with any guilt or shame. And he wanted his life to matter. Like he wanted his life to be valuable in the eyes of the world. He wanted the praise and applause of people so he wouldn't have to go to sleep at night and wonder if he had any value. And he wanted to feel safe and secure. He didn't always want to feel untethered and kind of bounced around in the chaos of life. He wanted to have something valuable he could live his life for, something he could spend his energy and passion on that he actually felt would be worthy of his life and he knew would actually make a difference and last. And he spent his whole life building his life after these things. And these are the same things that we try to build our lives after, whether we're successful or not. And when Paul met Jesus, instead of Jesus giving Paul another hill to climb, Jesus offered him his life. Jesus offered him himself. Jesus says, Paul, here's what I'll, here's what I'll do. I'm not going to give you a set of rules. I'm not going to give you a path. I'm not going to give you any of that. I'm not going to give you religion. What I'm going to do is I'm going to just say this, my life for yours. I'll take your life and your story and I will live it to the very end. And on the cross, I will swallow up your whole story. The very end of it even. So that I can give you my story. And it's like when, when Paul meets Jesus, it's like the conversation they had was like Jesus was saying, Paul, like, I know you want these things in your life. I know you're trying to build your life towards these things. But because of your sin, you can't be righteous anymore. You can never get to that place where you're not going to have areas of your life covered with guilt and shame. It's impossible. You can't be righteous anymore. But if I do this for you, I can give you my righteousness. And you're never going to be able to find the value and praise you're looking for. But if I do this, I can bestow on you the value that my Father has bestowed on me before the foundation of the world. If You can't find safety and security in this world in the way you want it. But if I do this, then I can pay for every step of your salvation, your sanctification, your glorification, so that there is no storm in this world or there is no being or object that could snatch you out of my hand. And you can't find the lasting meaning and purpose that you so desperately need, but if I do this, I can give you a vision for your life that will not just matter for a decade or a century, but will matter for eternity. 
Paul, you want glory. You want honor. You want praise. But what you really want is you want to shine forth as the image of God that you were originally created to be. And that's what you want. Like no matter who you are in the room, no matter what life you're trying to build for yourself, that is what you want because it's what God created you to do. But because you have sinned and I have sinned and Paul has sinned, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And that means that in and of ourselves, we will never, ever be able to experience that life like we were meant to. Unless Jesus joins himself to us. Unless the perfect, radiant son of God would come from heaven to earth and actually intertwine his life with ours. And there's this idea in Christianity that there's this like kind of class of super Christians, right? And this is super common. Like I think I hold this view to some degree, right? There's these certain class of people that are like deeply spiritual, serious people. And then there's like the rest of us, right? And we make this kind of separation between ourselves and people like Paul or the apostles or even some other people in the church that we know kind of live these serious, devout lives, like the way they spend their money, the way they pray, the way they know their Bibles, the way they serve others. Like we look at those people and be like, gosh, like that is like a holy person. I am not like that. And so what we can do is we can tend to make a separation between us and people like the apostle Paul. And that would be true if discipleship was about us becoming something but it's not. Discipleship is about responding to something that Jesus has already done in us. Because Jesus on the cross, he has joined himself to us. Like Paul, when he says like imitate Christ, he's not saying like, hey, you have an opportunity to do something here. He's saying, no, actually on the cross, Jesus identified with me became joined with me. He took my life on the cross and gave me his. And so when I'm trying to imitate his life, it's not me trying to become acceptable to him. It's me trying to just live out the reality that Jesus Christ has already bought and paid for in my life. And this is not an insignificant difference. It's a massive difference because in every other religion, imitation is the way that we become who we're supposed to be. Right? We imitate the spiritual giants. We, we take on their transcendent way of life. We take on their habits. And it's actually in these habits and rituals that these things transform us. But in Christianity, we are told that we are not in need of spiritual correction, but we are in need of recreation. What we're told in Christianity is that God's end goal for us is not to be slightly better than we are today, but to actually be so renewed and so transformed and so completely remade that we might be able to stand in the presence of the holy of holies of God himself in perfect, radiant splendor so much so that God himself would be able to look at you every single corner of your life, every single spot of it to the very depth of who you are and would be able to see, I am pleased with you. I see nothing wrong, nothing imperfect, no flaw, nothing. 
And we can't imitate that. We can't make that happen. We can't become like that. You know, sometimes when I'm explaining Christian salvation to people or how salvation works in, in, the, in the Christian Bible, right, it's like, I sometimes talk about like there's us and then there's, there's God, right? And at all of us, no matter who you are, right, we have this assumption that like if I work hard enough and I, I imitate Jesus well enough or some kind of spiritual person, then eventually I can kind of build this bridge, right, of good works and performance and kind of spiritual ethics and I can eventually be acceptable to God. And, and the Bible basically says this, it's like you could spend the entirety of your life trying to imitate Jesus, trying to be like him. You could take every single spiritual teacher that's ever existed and you could try to imitate their way of life, become as perfect as you could possibly be, and the Bible says that you would build a bridge about that far. But that the chasm between you and God is endless. You cannot cross the void. You can never actually imitate Jesus. But what Jesus does, what God does, is he imitates us. Later in the second book of Corinthians, it just says that he became sin for us. That what Jesus was doing on the cross was he was actually imitating you. And he was actually taking your place in the story. And Jesus was saying, hey, I will go to the cross in your place. Because it's only if I take your life on my shoulders and trade places with you, recreate you, transform you through the power of my spirit. That's the only possible way that you're ever going to be able to take my life on your shoulders. And make no mistake, this is exactly what Jesus intends to do. Jesus is not trying to change your life, tweak your life, polish it up a little bit. He intends to actually weigh down the fullness of his life on your shoulders. He intends to replace our life with his. And that will not erase us, but it'll actually recreate us into the image that we have always been destined for, not in part, but in full. And so we have to understand this. When Paul says he imitates Christ, this is not an arrogant statement. Okay, it's not just Paul having this lofty moment of spiritualism. No, it's Paul humbling himself underneath the goal and aim of the blood of Jesus that has been spilled for him. It's literally Paul saying, everything I had in life that I was trying to build for myself, I am saying no to that so I can come underneath Jesus and through his power become like him because that is his goal for my life, not mine. C.S. Lewis, he says it like this. He says, you must realize from the outset, like just the beginning of this discipleship journey, you, you need to realize from the outset that the goal towards which he is beginning to guide you is absolute perfection. And no power in the whole universe except yourself can prevent him from taking you to that goal. That is what you are in for. And it is very important that you realize that. Because if we do not, we are very likely to start pulling back and resisting him after a certain point. He says, I think that many of us, when Christ has enabled us to overcome one or two sins that were kind of an obvious nuisance, we're inclined to feel, though we might not put it into these exact words, that we are now good enough. <laughs> he has done all we wanted him to do, and we should be obliged if he would now leave us alone. As we say, I've never expected to be a saint. 
I only wanted to be a decent, ordinary guy. And we imagine that in that moment we are being humble. But this is the fatal mistake. Of course we never wanted this and never asked to be made into the sort of creatures he is going to make us into. But the question is not what we intended ourselves to be, but what he intended us to be when he made us. We may be content to remain what we call ordinary people, but he is determined to carry out a quite different plan. And to shrink back from it is not humility, but it's laziness and cowardice. And to submit to it is not conceit or megalomania, but the Bible calls it obedience. Paul says, this promise of perfection, of taking ordinary sinful people and conforming them into the exact image of the radiant, glorious Son of God. He says, this is not something I've already obtained. I'm not already made perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus has made me his own. And he's saying, be an imitator of me, like live like this as I'm imitating Christ. And this is what he says later in 2 Corinthians. He says, we all with unveiled face, like in this kind of way, we are now seeing Jesus for who he really is. We're beholding the glory of God. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. You know, that, that question at the beginning, right? It's like, what if you got the thing you desire? What if you got it? And I think there's like a way, way to your question, right? And the way, way to your question on your life is what if you actually got the thing Jesus desires for your life? What if you actually got that? Like what if that actually happened? That you became like him. Not in part, not 20%, not 30, but that you would actually be so conformed into the image of Christ that it's like you'd be joined together as one. When the Bible talks about a marriage ceremony, it says, yeah, that whole thing, two people being joined together as one, it's like just like a metaphor for humanity and Jesus Christ being joined together at the end of time. Is Jesus' desire for your life better than your desire for your life? This is what I've been thinking about all week, and I've been laughing so hard about it. Because I look at these Instagram things, and I'm like, oh, it would be so sick to be there. And I'm compelled by that, right? Like, they know the way my heart's wired, and so they're giving me this vision of life that I want. And then I come to Jesus, and I'm like, Jesus, what do you want for my life? And every single time, it's so much better I mean, seriously, just stop and think. Which end of the story is more glorious for your life? Five minutes of fame, the fleeting applause of people, a big retirement where you're comfortable and safe, the best vacations, whatever it is that you thought of, right, that was kind of like here and earthly and material, or to be recreated and renewed into the exact image of the Son of God to dwell in the presence of the glory of God as his spotless children forever and to live this life leaning forward into that reality. To be a disciple of Jesus who doesn't distance himself from the crucified Savior but shares in his sufferings, has a desire even to understand more of him in his death and to wake up to his forever resurrection.
Paul, who is living a crazy life, is looking at people like us who are living pretty comfortable lives, and he's saying, hey, imitate me. Live like I'm living. I'm broken, I'm flawed, I got a ton of sin, but I'm pointing my feet towards King Jesus, and I'm trying to run after him as fast as I possibly can. Join me. Imitate that way of life. Because we imitate what we admire. The people in this world that we look at and we think that is the life that has value, those will be the kind of people we live like. We just will. And so what Paul is trying to do is he's not just trying to lay down this like hard command on us. What he's trying to do is he's trying to shift the kind of life we say has valuable. Because Paul's life, right, he's not living in the nice house with the nice things. He's living a life where he's poor. He's living a life where he's fairly homeless. He's living a life that's pretty shaky and uncomfortable and unknown. But the reason he's doing that is because he's decided he wants to live totally sold out for King Jesus and taking his name to the ends of the earth. He's saying, this is the only way I can do that. And Jesus Christ, right, he's living that same kind of way. He's not living in the safety and comfort of heaven. He's actually leaving heaven to come down to earth to come and save the people that he loves. And what Paul is doing is he's inviting us into that. He's saying that way of life, it will be different than the kind of life that gets likes on Instagram. It will be different than the kind of life that everyone will look at you and say, you have an amazing life. It'll actually be really hard sometimes. But Paul knows And I want to be the kind of person that when I look at someone like that, I don't pity them, but I look at them and I say, I want to be like you. I want to know God like you know God. I want to know how to pray like you pray. I want to love people like you love people. And I'm telling you, I am just like you. I'm not there. There's still so many parts of my heart where I look at things of the world and I say, that's the life that has value. That's what I want. But day by day, Jesus is changing my heart so that I might actually look at Christ and not say, Jesus, thanks for salvation, but I don't want to live like you. But I'd be the kind of person that so values Christ that I say, Jesus, I want to be as close to you as I possibly can. And so when you came in, we got this communion cup. And, you know, communion is, is interesting because we're talking about imitation today, right? The imitation of Christ, right? But, but imitation comes from substitution and what jesus was doing on the cross right is jesus was imitating us right he's like you you can't you can't imitate me you never could imitate me it's impossible so what jesus did is he came down and he imitated our sin he became our sin for us and so what jesus does is he basically just says this hey i don't want to make your life a little bit better i want to actually shape you exactly after me and what we do when we take communion is we actually we really should do this almost every time is we are looking at the desires that we have for our life, the vision we have for our life, what we want to be, our place in the story. And we are actually laying that down and we're coming to the king who gave up his life to give us a better, valuable life, a more valuable place in the story, his place in the story. And so we're going to take communion together. And what communion symbolizes is the cost that Jesus paid to do this. The reason we imitate Christ is because of the cost that Jesus paid for us to even be able to attempt that, for us to even be able to start to do that. So what Jesus did is he, he, he took bread like this and he broke it and he said, this is my body. 
that's been broken for you. So let's take this in remembrance of him. And then Jesus took the cup and he said, whenever you drink this cup, drink it in remembrance of me. This is my blood that's been poured out for you. Let's take the cup. Imitation is a form of worship, right? We imitate what we admire, we become what we love. And in Christianity, right, the thing we just did is we're actually recognizing that our standing with God does not depend on how well we imitate him, but it depends on how well he imitated us. That's what this reminds us of. And for Paul, you see, Paul is not trying to kind of like pay Jesus back for what Jesus gave him. He's not trying to kind of like pay off his debt that he owes God by trying to live a righteous life. What Paul is doing is he is so compelled by who Jesus is and the love that Christ showed for him that he is simply saying, I want to be as close to this Savior as I possibly can be. Whatever it costs me, I do not care. I must know him. I must share in his sufferings. I must be as close to him as I possibly can, even if it means experiencing the kind of death he experienced. He is my Christ. He is my king. He is my everything. I must be near him. That is not imitation that we do to earn something. It is imitation that flows out of the very core of our being where we just say, I love this Christ. I must go to him. I must be near him. Let's do that in worship.